listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. I'm really glad today that we have our high school students present with us. Good to see you guys. Welcome. Can we welcome our high school students today? Glad you guys are joining us. Yeah. We're, uh, we're actually doing this on purpose for a couple reasons. Uh, one is just because of the holiday weekend, which, you know, happy Labor Day weekend to everybody. And sometimes when those kinds of uh, things come on our calendar, uh, programming runs the risk of being a little shorthanded. And so when that happens, we just like to kind of try to do something on purpose to leverage it for something that matters. And that's actually the second reason you're in this room. is because what we're talking about today really matters. The Great Commission is for everybody... Students, you are positioned by God for a specific time and a specific place for kingdom advancement. I really believe that with all my heart. And uh, so what we're talking about today really matters. And not just for students, it applies to all of us. Uh, This matters. I'm glad that for the last few weeks we have had the opportunity to align with our students through this series called Do What Jesus Did. And um, because it just matters that much. We're not just looking at what Jesus taught But we're examining what he did, because how he did things is just as important as what he taught. So I'm glad that we can be together in this today. Glad to have you guys here. The Christian life of discipleship is not a cul-de-sac. Christian life of discipleship is not a cul-de-sac. About eight years ago, my family and I were able to build a house, and we're situated on a cul-de-sac which is a real blessing when you have little kids. They're not so little now. Um, We didn't mind that they played out in the front yard, which is where they preferred to be. Cul-de-sacs are safe, but they don't get you very far. You know what I'm saying? Cul-de-sacs are predictable, but they can be rather bland. That's why when we like to go on vacation, we don't stay put, right? We go places. If you were to come to our house... We would have to open up the photo albums and we would show you places of where we've been. And what you will not find in those photo albums are pictures of our street. Don't pay, take pictures of a cul-de-sac. No point. Cul-de-sacs are boring. They're safe, but boring. Again, the Christian life of discipleship is not a cul-de-sac. I think a better image is that of a pathway. A pathway that's leading somewhere. That's the Christian life of discipleship. You see this uh, through the story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, you find these three themes. Power, partnership, and promise. Power, partnership, and promise. I hope that as we continue through this year of Bible engagement, you start to see those themes pop up every once in a while. Here in just a few days, you are going to be reading what is our primary text for today. Matthew chapter 28. We are people of the book, and so one of the ways that we honor the word of the Lord is in the reading of his word, and as we stand. Can we stand right now, church, as we read this passage from Matthew chapter 28? I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out. Keep them close right there to Matthew 28. Uh, We're going to be referencing this multiple times today. I'm just going to read verses 16 to the end of the book. This is what Matthew writes. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. 
Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. You can have a seat. The first thing I want us to do together here is to look at this theme of power, of authority. We actually saw it in our text in verse 18. All authority had been given to Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's verse 18. But you actually get to see authority in verse 16 as well. In verse 16, it says that he directed his disciples to go to the mountain. Jesus commanded and they went. He instructed and they obeyed. That's how authority works. This would not be the only time that we see a connection between Jesus and his authority. In Matthew chapter 9, he heals a lame man, and the people respond by saying that his teaching had authority. In other words, his words are not just words. His words can produce action. Sound familiar? The very beginning of all things, when I, even when we started this year of Bible engagement, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, dot, 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 and God said, let there be light. Ba-ding! There's light. It's there. Look it up in the Hebrew. It's there. Ba-ding! It's in the Hebrew. Right? God speaks, and something happens. Now, that's power. We see it in Matthew 9. A chapter later, in Matthew 10, we see it again. Jesus gives authority to his 12 disciples before he sends them out on mission. And it's by his authority, it's underneath his power, that these men were able to heal diseases, address unclean spirits, and drive out demons. Now that is power. Here um, in our text today, Jesus establishes his marching orders of his people with the acknowledgement that he has all the power. He has all the authority. And I really like how Ed Stetzer put this. He said, the Great Commission is great because the one who gave it to us is great. All the power, all the authority. In our text, as it moves on, you're going to see that Jesus gives a command to baptize. And he says, you're going to baptize in the name In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are going to baptize and obey this command under the authority, the name. So from start to finish, this whole idea, everything we're talking about today, is rooted in the lordship of Jesus, the nature of his authority. But you know, and I know, there is a big difference between saying that Jesus has all the authority and actually living our lives according to that authority. So, Jesus calls it out for us. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What we see here is the difference between a person who says Jesus is Lord and yet does not practice that through the conviction of obedience. But the power of God is revealed as we surrender to his authority. Let me reframe that just a little bit like this. Power is revealed as we yield to Jesus' authority. His power is revealed as we, the people of God, yield to Jesus. And here's the second part of that. Authority is meant to activate. 
His authority is meant to propel us into obedience, propel us into activity, not just sitting there. Sometimes the best way, I think, to see authority on display is to look at it when it stands opposed. Often the most visible and obvious demonstrations of authority are seen best when that authority is challenged. Think of it this way. There's a teacher standing at the front of the classroom. Everything is going just fine until some kid gets it in his head to disrupt clear classroom guidelines. Ever been there? And he responds in a particular way, and the whole class kind of gives the collective, ooh. And you just know, this kid going to get it, you know, right? Or maybe, um, maybe you've seen it at work, right? Uh, the boss gives this clear directive, and that lady, it's always the same lady, she puts her hands on her hips, and she's like, I ain't doing it. And you just know that a march down to the office and a visit with HR draweth nigh. You know what I'm saying? You been there? Uh, I actually kind of got to see this firsthand just last week. Uh, last Sunday night, we had our life group launch out at the Willard Pool. Did you guys have a good time? Who was there? Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, we had a good time at the Willard Pool. I love the Willard Pool. I think it's great. Uh, I was there with uh, our eighth grade boys and uh, having a great time. And I'm, I find myself playing football in the water with these boys. Uh, everything was going just fine. The problem was that on the opposing team was Cole Keaton. <laughs> Cole, I don't know if you're here. Um, uh, but... Uh, Cole is just a, a big guy, and, um, and then also on that opposing team. Now, Cole is one of our co-leaders of our life group, so I, I love Cole very much. Um, but uh, also on that opposing team was Colton Clendworth. Colton is an eighth grader twice my size. And you're probably thinking, that doesn't take too much. But um, <laughs> anyway, twice my size. Both these guys are on the opposing team. And I, I find there's a part where, where Cole is coming at me in the water, right? And so I brace myself. And with one arm... One arm, he throws me into the deep end of the Republic pool. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Right? Next thing I know, there's a ball in my hands. I don't know how this happens. There's a ball in my hands. And Colton, begins, Colton is now coming at me. And before I know it, my head is under the water before I even have a chance to say I'm down, which was the rule, right? So it's kind of like this. I'm down, you know. Uh, the next morning I get a text from Colton's dad, Joel. Joel is one of our guitar players. And, um, he, uh, texted me and he just, he said, um, he said when Colton got home last night, one of the first things he said to me was, dad, I got to tackle Corey. (laughs) And, uh, I texted him back. I responded and I said, that's funny. It doesn't take too much. I told Leah when I got home, I'm officially too small to do this kind of activity with the boys. <laughs> and uh, Joel responded in another text. He said, ha, you are at a disadvantage when you have to tread water in the shallow end. <laughs> uh, uh, jerk. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, I, I asked Joel if I could tell this story. I, I love Joel. Well played. Uh, look, sometimes the most visible and obvious demonstrations of authority are seen best when that authority is opposed. We should not be surprised 
when the authority of Jesus is opposed in our lives. We should not be surprised when the authority of Jesus is opposed in this world. The question is, how are we going to respond to that opposition? Our brothers and sisters around the world, many of them, opposition looks like persecution. My family and I are just now reading through the most recent newsletter of Voice of the Martyrs. Look, your family in China, those parents, those Christian parents, are having discussions with their kids that start something like this. Listen, when we're arrested, here's how you need to respond. Now, opposition looks a little different for us. I think in a lot of respects, opposition for us looks like being lulled to sleep in our faith. And sometimes it just looks like being kind of drawn in with cultural seduction. It's just easier to be lazy. It's just easier to go with the flow, stay silent. This is why I am so thankful for author Nick Ripkin and his book, The Insanity of Obedience. In his book, he takes his 20-plus years of mission work among persecuted believers, and he compiled the patterns that he saw among those persecuted Christians, people who were willing to give their lives all the way to the very end for Jesus, to see churches multiply in their communities. There were patterns that emerged. He examined those patterns, and I'd like you to really lock into what he's going to say here in his book. Pay attention to this. He wrote this. As strange and as horrifying as it sounds, we came to realize that believers could be unwittingly complicit with the persecutors by simply refusing to share their faith. Just like persecution, the refusal to share the faith denies people access to Jesus. It was a startling thought to realize that the persecutors' use of violence to inhibit the faith And the believer's refusal to speak openly of Jesus equaled the same result. Look, when Jesus is Lord, like authority, power, Lord, we yield. We yield to his authority. We surrender in obedience no matter what. The second theme we find in our text is that of partnership. Partnership. What I mean is this. We align with Jesus' mission. That's what partnership is. We align with Jesus' mission. In verses 19 and 20 of our text, Jesus said, Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. This is such a a pivotal passage for us today. Something so important for us to obey. I'd like to just kind of break this down a little bit. Because partnership is revealed when we go. We got to go. Well, what is Matthew saying here? Is he restricting it just to like foreign missions? Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, Is he talking about, you know, the, the local context? What's he talking about here when he says go? Well, the beauty of the original Greek language is he kind of means both. It's both. On the one hand, Jesus is commanding us to make disciples as we go. As we go through our day, wherever we are, we're making disciples. And he is commanding us to make disciples among people who are far away from us. He is commanding us to make disciples of people who don't live by us. And he's commanding us to make disciples of people who don't vote like us. He's commanding us to make disciples among people who speak a different language. 
And he's commanding us to make disciples of people who have the same hick from the stick dialect. He's commanding us to cross cultures, and he's commanding us to cross the street. He's commanding us to reach far, and he's commanding us to reach near. It's both. And Jesus did not wait for people to come to him. He went where they were. He went from village to village, marketplaces to synagogues, private homes, public spaces, by a lake, in the temple, wedding feasts, funerals, banquets, parties. He's all over the place. Because where the people were, Jesus went. He's constantly going, constantly on the move. My dad would put it this way. He says the God of the Bible is a pilgrim God who is always on the move. Are we on the move? Listen, the church was meant to be a dynamic movement, not a dying monument. We're supposed to be on the move dynamically. Doesn't matter how good and healthy things are here. If we're not going, we're dying. We're supposed to be a dynamic movement where we go and we go and we go and we never stop. Secondly, partnership is revealed when we make disciples. (laughs) Make disciples. It is unfortunate, but in our day, we are able to distinguish a disciple from a convert. This wasn't the case for the earliest followers of Jesus. They did not make that kind of distinction. In our day, a convert is someone who simply believes in Jesus as the Savior so they can get saved. A disciple is someone who actually wants to follow Jesus and obey all of his commands. And in our text, the primary command here is to make disciples. A disciple is a student who makes it her goal to be like Jesus. A disciple is a guy who is like a little Christ. That's what the word Christian means, little Christ. We're supposed to be like him. Christ-likeness is the goal. Jesus is driving at this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He says a disciple is not above his teacher. A slave is not above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher. It's enough for a a slave to be like his master. You see, he's talking about Christ-likeness here. And the goal for the follower of Jesus is to be like him more and more and more and more. So we do what he did. We say what he said. We feel how he felt. We speak like he spoke. We think like he thought. We lead like he led. We serve like he served. We initiate like he initiates. We react like he reacts. Everything is about Christ-likeness. Everything. This is probably one of the most convicting parts of this text. It's here. And I hope you hear my heart clearly on this. If we are not involved somehow... In the process of making disciples, we are not disciples. Why? Because he told us to do it. That's why. You see, disciple-making movements need leadership. They need leadership. But movements only move with the masses. Disciple-making movements need leadership, but they only move with the masses. Everybody needs to be involved with this. Yes, we need people to steer the course. Yes, we need leadership. But a movement won't happen with just a few leaders, even as a football team will not win with just a quarterback. 
Each of us has to do our part. And I realize we're not all the same. I get it. You, you guys have gifts I don't have. Romans 12 makes it clear that we're one body with many parts and not all the parts are the same. But Matthew chapter 28 makes it equally clear that the goal of making disciples doesn't shift just because I'm not wired that way. Here's my question for all of us today. Whatever your part in the body of Christ, how can you leverage it to see that lost people become disciples who can make disciples? Think about it. You have a part to play in this. What is it? What is that good and blessed opportunity that you do not want to miss to make disciples? I want to address our students for a minute. Do you realize that the time that you have with fellow students is very short? I realize it doesn't always feel that way when you're stuck with these people for hours every day. But the reality is that in the grand scheme of your life, the time that you have with them will go by like that. And then it's gone. The thing that I would like for you to consider is what would it look like if you were to focus each opportunity, each day, on making disciples in your context with the people with whom you rub shoulders? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't know what making disciples even looks like. I don't know how to make disciples. And that's a fair statement. In fact, there's a pro probably a lot of us in this room that feel that same way. I don't know how to make disciples. Where, does it, where do I even start? Well, I want to offer two things for y'all. The first one is this. Mark your calendars for October 9th. That's a Sunday. Sunday, October 9th at 2.30 that afternoon. We are going to begin a disciple-making training with our friend Brian King. Uh, some of our staff have been studying with Brian and Josh Howard uh, for the last eight months. And uh, we're excited about hosting him here for that afternoon. So please put it on your calendars, October 9th at 2.30 in the afternoon. Brian's going to come from Cedar Ridge Christian Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, uh, for this training. So that's one thing that you can do. Here's the other thing, the second thing. Remember that all you have to do is help people experience Jesus one step at a time. You do not have to have it all mapped out. The nature of discipleship is your next step. It's your next step. The Apostle Peter is a great example of this. It, his good confession. You know, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And he says, I, I think you're the Christ. I think you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, way to go, Peter. You got it right. God gave that to you. And Peter's like, yeah, I was kind of thinking maybe that's what was going on here. You know, maybe God gave that to me. And then Jesus' next words to his disciples are, strap in. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter's going, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Messiahs don't die. <laughs> How can you die? Because what Jesus is doing is as soon as Peter gets to this point, Jesus is going to take him the next step. That's the nature of discipleship. The next step. You don't have to have it all mapped out. You just be faithful and obey him in the next step. And he'll provide clarity for the next. Thirdly, partnership is revealed when we baptize and teach. When we baptize and teach. You know, immersion into Christ is the beginning of the journey. This is the pattern that we see in the early church. And it's a work of God's spirit in our lives when we make that commitment to following Christ by identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. 
Baptism is that moment. It's that line in the sand moment when we acknowledge the authority and the kingship of Jesus in our life. He is Lord. He is the one that has the right to call the shots and command our obedience. Some of you may not have come to that point yet. I, know, I would love to visit with you about that. I would love to talk to you about that in our decision point area after, after the service today. And I want you to keep in mind that disciples are made. He said, make disciples. Uh, they are not spontaneously created at conversion. And that's why teaching matters. We're commanded to baptize and teach. Teach so that disciples can be molded and shaped over the course of a lifetime. And according to Jesus, teaching, learning, this is not just about head knowledge. That's how we think of it. Like, oh, you just got to know the right information. That's not what Jesus has in mind. In Jesus' day, to learn implied both knowledge and obedience. It was both. So, like uh, in, in Matthew nine thirteen, when Jesus tells the Pharisees, and he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Oh, they had heard that before. That's Hosea chapter 6. He says, go and learn what this... He's not insulting their intelligence. He's saying, you know it up here, but you haven't learned it. Because you're not putting it into practice. Learning is fulfilled in obedience. We are commanded to teach disciples to obey all that Jesus commanded. This includes commands of personal holiness. Man, I wish we had time to talk about that today as it relates to the disciple-making movements. Commands to obeying God in holiness, but also obeying his commands of mission. We are not given the luxury of choosing which commands we want to obey. Even as we're not given the luxury of choosing which commands to teach, we teach them all. We obey them all. And maybe I need to call in some reinforcements for this. Francis Chan does a great job of unpacking this for us. Would you give your attention to the screens? Look, when, when, when my daughter comes to me and I say, hey, go, go clean your room, she knows better. She, she's not going to come back a couple hours later and say, hey, Dad, I memorized what you said to me. You said, go clean your room. You know, what am I going to say? Oh, good job. That's what I wanted. No. And she's not going to come to me and say, Dad, I can say, go clean your room in Greek. Listen, that's not going to fly. And what if she says, you know what? My friends and I, we're going to gather together and every week we're going to have a study and we're going to figure out what it would look like if I cleaned my room. No, none of that's going to fly. Just go and clean it. She knows that. So why do we think that this type of thinking or this type of talk is going to work with Jesus? I mean, Jesus was as black and white as you get. He would look at people and he'd say, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? He says that in Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I ask you to do? I mean, why would you call someone your master and then not listen to him. And, and he says in Matthew 7, 21, he goes, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only the one who actually does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The last theme for this morning is that of promise. When... We trust Jesus' vision of the end. We trust his vision of the end. We see it in verse 20 here. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, don't you forget this. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised that he would be with us to the end. And he's not talking about the end of this world. He's talking about the end of all things. When everything is completed, he'll be with us. And in this promise, 
He is modeling for us what he desires to be reciprocated. The same level of commitment that he desires to see in us is what he is willing to give us. Let me see if I can illustrate this. There's a big difference between being interested and being committed. Big difference. And I think you know the difference. Like in a dating relationship, you might be interested in that girl. You might think, man, she's cute. And then you get to know her a little bit and you're like, this is not going to work, right? (laughs) We cannot commit to this. You know, it starts at interest, but it can't go to commitment. It just can't, right? Other times, again, starts with interest and you think, man, she's cute. And so you ask her out and she says, no. And um, you wait a little while and you ask her again. She says, no. So you go lift weights. And you come back and you ask her again. She says, ooh, I'll think about it. Right? Victory. Um, eventually, kind of moves forward to a ceremony and a commitment and a vow and a promise. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus was interested in you but not committed? I can only speak for myself here, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus would take one look at me and go, not worth it. It's not worth the risk. The truth is, though, he has already committed himself to us. Are we committed to him? An interested person attends church. A committed disciple abides in Christ. An interested person may know chapter and verse. A committed disciple lives chapter and verse. An interested person um, acts based out of convenience. A committed disciple moves based out of conviction. And because Jesus has already fully committed to us, he models for us what our commitment to him should be. He is always with us. He'll never leave. That's the promise of Matthew 28, 20. But I want to look at another promise. I want to fast forward. Remember, I said the life of Christian discipleship is not a cul-de-sac. It's a pathway. It's leading somewhere. And this is where we're going. Revelation chapter 7. The Apostle John gives us a view, a glimpse of that future. I'm going to read chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes, waving palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne unto the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I take great confidence in this promise. I'm emboldened to live for Jesus and share the good news because I know we can't lose. This is his promise to us. I trust this promise. But do you know that sometimes I still get scared whenever I feel God prompting me to share the gospel or share my faith with somebody? I don't, I still get scared. But I have to come back to this vision and this promise again and again that reminds me, no matter how challenging it is, we win. That's the promise we have from God's word. Every tongue tribe, nation. You want to know how we get there? 
partnership. Oh, God's going to do it. Yeah, that's a promise. We can count on it. John even saw it. It's coming. But the way, the way that we're going to get to the fulfillment of that promise is through partnership, through making disciples. According to God's sovereign choice, he designed that promise would be filled by means of a partnership as we yield to his authority. As we obey his commands to make disciples, to go, to baptize, and teach, we are partnering with him to see this promise come about. This, this is how we serve the end goal. I want to wrap up by getting really specific on how we can put these things into practice. How can we obey this today? And I want to put an image in your mind of a sailboat. A sailboat. In Scripture, you know, the Holy Spirit is oftentimes referred to or revealed as the wind. Or the breath. And you know, you guys know, a sailboat only moves with the wind. It's the wind that's doing all the work. It's the wind that has the power. But there's something that a sailor must do. Raise the sail. Raise the sail. A sailboat without a sail may be a lot calmer, but it doesn't go anywhere. It's safe, but boring. And when we commit to making disciples, we're simply trying to find ways of raising the sail. So that the Holy Spirit can move as he desires. And I'm afraid that more often than not, he's already moving. But we miss it. We miss it because we don't have the sails up. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I don't, just take some notes here. I don't know if you're a pen and paper kind of person or if you take notes on your phone. I don't care. If you've got to get your phone out, here's, I want you to write three words down. Somewhere. Somewhere where you're going to see it. These three words. Raise the sails. Raise the sails. And I want to give you some ideas on how you can raise the sails. I hope that your list is greater than this. I hope you come up with some things that are specific to you that you can do to raise the sails so that we're ready. When the Spirit is going to move, we're ready for this as a church. Let me give you just a few sail-raising ideas. Raise the sails by praying for lost people by name. Raise the sails by gathering with a few others to pray for a movement of disciple-making to sweep through our city. Raise the sails by telling someone about what Jesus has done for you. Raise the sails by asking them if they have a story like that. That's a great question to ask. Raise the sails by just asking someone if you can pray for them. My wife and I were running errands yesterday, and we did that with one of the cashiers. And she really opened up. Kind of amazing how powerful that question is. How can I pray for you? That's a way to raise the sales. Raise the sales by helping the poor in our community and letting them know that Jesus is the reason they're receiving help. Raise the sales by inviting people to church. Raise the sales by hosting a neighborhood block party. Do you know your neighbors by name? Host a block party. Raise the sales. Raise the sails by investing in our students and kids. Teach them how to follow Jesus. Teach them how to love Jesus. Raise the sails by living a holy life. I wish we had time to talk about that. Because of how foundational that is for disciple-making movements. When God's people commit to living a holy life in a depraved world. Raise the sails by not just jumping in to the same flood of immorality so prevalent in our culture. I'm thinking that if we did this, we might be wonderfully caught off guard with how God will provide clarity for our next step in discipleship if we would just raise the sails. While you have your notes out, 
Let me give you another question to write down. Underneath raise the sails, I just want you to write this one question. Who are two people you will tell about this? Who are two people you will tell about this? The first person needs to be the name of a lost person you know. Someone who does not know the Lord is not following Jesus. And I just want you to consider how can you share this with them this week? Something about the lordship of Jesus, something about his mission in the world to, to get all nations, all people, all ethnic groups in heaven. Uh, maybe something about his promise to be with us, that he'll never leave us. What can you share with one person this week? Write their name down. Ask that God would give you that name. Maybe you already have it. The second person to write their name down is the person who's a Christian, a follower of Jesus, someone who you can talk to and say, could you hold me accountable to obey this passage this week? Would you call me out? Could you call me here in a few days and say, how's that going? This is how movements begin. This is how we obey. Pray that God would reveal those names to you before you leave today. Now, here in just a second, we're going to stand together and sing. But before that, I want to encourage you to give your offerings to the Lord. We talk about this all the time. As an act of worship, we do it for the Lord. But I I wonder sometimes how many times the thought comes into our heads that if I give my gift, that that the leadership will take care of everything else. That's not how disciple-making happens. This is a part of it. I told you, disciple-making movements take leadership, but they move with masses. This is the beginning. We give our offerings as an act of worship to the Lord, not to pay bills. We give our offerings as an act of worship to the Lord, not so that everybody else can do it. This is just the start. This is just the beginning. And I want to encourage you to jump in. And maybe you're not sure how to jump in. Maybe you don't know what that next step is for you. And I want to encourage you to visit uh, with me today after the service in our decision point area, or you can go on our website and check out information there, and we will follow up with you at the link that you see. I can tell you, folks, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I've had eight months with these ideas and some of our, with some of our staff. And I'm done living the Christian life on a cul-de-sac. I'm done coming to a stopping point and saying, I think that's good enough when it falls short of Matthew 28. I'm moving on. I'm moving on toward an end goal. And I just want to ask you this question. Who's coming with me? This is too great of an adventure to not see it happen in our day, in our community. Christ is too compelling. His lordship is too magnificent for us to settle for anything less. And if you want to pray with somebody to talk about that, I'd love to do that with you today. Can we stand? We're going to sing the song and declare who Christ is. He is to be magnified. North, south, east, west, every nation. We'll bow before him. Let's celebrate that and declare it as we sing this together. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. 
We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.